This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Welcome to Script the Screen. This, Thank uh, you. David uh, is back. Today we're going to talk about your classic episode, Bizarro Jerry. All right, the cool. Jerry World with writer-producer David Mendel. Um, so Seinfeld is known as a show about nothing. Uh, this is how Jerry and George actually pitched it uh, in their episode at NBC. But this episode is kind of complex. There's a lot more well, going on. I would on. argue most of the show is pretty complex. I think the, the nothing was sort of the maybe the very early show, maybe, because it got pretty complicated. I mean, if you think about it, like not even just counting the Bizarre Jerry, but really, you know, as it starts to find its footing, especially, you know, in that sort of like four, third into the fourth season, you've got like most of the time... Four complete stories, four very different stories, you know, doing this. And it was pretty much the opposite of nothing. But yes, I know that is how they pitched it, yeah. Well, um, so, you know, I, this episode you have George Kramer and Jerry have the exact opposites. Yep. What inspired you to take Seinfeld to the comic book world and make a uh, comic book world and kind of do this alternate universe? Well, I think there's you know. two things going on, I guess. First of all, for me... Number one, I'm a comic book fan. Mm. I'm a collector. I collect uh, original comic art and that kind of stuff, which I love. Um, and obviously, in the show, in the episode, not just in the episode, but in the show, it had been established that you know Jerry was a Superman fan, mm-hmm. and there had been a lot of Superman references. So that that jump to sort of picking up on other Superman stuff was kind of ripe for the taking, if you will. But what it really was for me, almost was. Um, a little bit, and I think this was very true of the later seasons, and whether you like them or not, but a little bit of the, that's the first, that, that the Bizarro takes place in the first post-Larry season. Mm. And so to some extent, what I would say is a lot of the writers at that point were, at that point, no longer the original group of writers, but writers like myself who had watched the show and recognized its genius and were very obsessed with it. And so I do think as sort of the second generation of Seinfeld writers, we were sort of almost like, okay, we see what Seinfeld is. Now how do we push and play with the format? Mm. And I love doing that just in general, in a lot of my writing in general. I've done that on a lot of the shows I worked on, but that was a real opportunity to kind of push it further and sort of... There's, uh, yes, it's pushing into the superhero world, but also just the notion of these opposites being like real opposites and acting that way was very much sort of kind of going, well, how far can we push it? And Jerry was very open to it, so that was great too. And it, but it comes from, you know, there's like a line in the middle of the episode where, you know, Jerry is complaining to Elaine that, like, every, no one, everyone's gone, that George is in the Forbidden yeah. City and Kramer's at his <laughs> job and she's off with the Bizarros. And, you know, she basically says, like, I cannot keep coming into this apartment day after day, going over the minutia of the day. And he goes, well, like earlier today, I was at the bank. And it's, a, it's really commenting on the show as much as the, the episode is the episode, but it's really commenting on the whole Seinfeld show yeah. up to that point. And I do think that's a lot of what 
that sort of second group of writers we all brought to it, which was we were such fans of the show that we started making fun of the show in the show, show, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, and it was interesting because we talked about the storyline, because it was one of the things I noticed, especially in later seasons, you, all the ABC storylines were getting a lot more weight. They became more equal. Our little trick was always if you can find a story for two of them, that's better, or the more that they can cross over, so that way they're not standing alone. But in a perfect world, if you could find a story that holds, you know, like like an Elaine Kramer or an Elaine Jerry or something like that. And this one, everybody's got a story, but they are they are definitely like they're going with each other. But some of the ones that were sometimes easier to outline and write where maybe you only had three stories mm. because two of the characters were in one. But yeah, four full stories and each one very equal of weight. Because yeah. I like what you're talking about. We had the whole funny thing where Jerry was feeling neglected by Kramer. Had yes. dinner ready. Because we always had the joke in the first season, oh, Kramer's just using me. And, and it was interesting when you saw the flip dynamic where right. Jerry needed Again, the Kramer. the comment that of was, Basically, now Jerry cooking food, for lack of a better word. Or as he says, well, I ordered. It's still effort. But wanting Kramer to come, come into Come in when the whole joke has been, yes. we don't want, you know. And dare I say, you know, and again, pushing it, but turning their relationship and stretching it into the, if you will, modern domesticity. I guess I was going to say husband and wife. But at this point, we can certainly say husband and husband. husband yeah. But again, this sort of domestic idea of the two of them as almost like a couple. And then Jerry song. playing sort of somewhat the, uh, you know, the, 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 the neglected spouse. And that, that, so again, now you have these other things very much pushing up against, I guess, reality. Definitely more out there than perhaps earlier seasons. But it, also, yeah. it was also nice because he was also being rejected by George. Yes. not taking this forbidden city, which was kind of... Because Jerry's usually the one driving up to that point, kind of like driving the storyline. But here, he was kind of chasing after the other characters. Right. But it was, it was, it was this sort of nice thing, too, I guess. I, and, you know, it's funny, you know, some of it happens and some of it you plan. And I think definitely, initially, the plan was this sense of, you know, like Kramer abandoning him. But in some ways, it ended up with all of them kind of abandoning yeah. him, which was a really neat thing to watch Jerry play in general, not just in those the heightened scene of the, the spouse, but also just in general in the back end of the story. He's just kind of a little bit like at his wit's end. And again, a little bit of a commentary, because in so many of the other episodes, it's almost like you, wish, he, you get a sense he wishes they would leave. Yeah, but, he drives, yes. he pushes them away. So Jerry must have been really excited. You, you threw in Superman and gave him a lot of stuff to do, kind of like interesting character he things. He definitely to got to play a lot of stuff. And you know the, the whole sort of bizarro thing initially just started off as a conversation. And it, and it started off just as the conversation of, you know, to some extent, of Elaine dating your opposite. She's sort of dating like bizarro Jerry and kind of... It very much started with me pitching the idea, I guess, of this opposite guy, if you will, and sort of using the bizarro thing, which I just thought would be a really funny discussion. Like, that, right. this is going to be a great coffee shop scene. That's how we used to think about these things. The coffee shop mm -hmm. was usually the spot where you were explaining or talking about or commenting on what had ever happened. And it was really Jerry's encouragement. I give him all the credit in the world who saying, no, no, keep going. You know what I mean? Like, 
and, and not necessarily specifically ordering up the other bizarros, but certainly just going, this is rich, there's, there's, this, keep going, there's more here, we can, we can keep going. And then that led to meeting then his other group Fair and point. Elaine and everyone liking it better. And then obviously by the very, very end, it gets very surreal. But again, I think earns surrealness, which is yeah, the best I did time. like the, yeah. the initial thing is where they, would go, they go to the library to read. Um, the list of sort of the opposite stuff was so fun to play with. I mean, from the, the locked door and the mm-hmm. you know, knocking and who who is it? It's, you know, it basically, you know, again, just it, it's that part. I mean, I hate to say it wrote itself, but it it did write itself. And the yeah. postal worker who is not yes <laughs> Vargas, <laughs> uh, who kind of actually I think works. I think technically he's wearing like almost like a FedEx outfit, so it's the opposite of the post office. And of course, they're best friends. So like that stuff. I mean, you could have done you could have done like eleven minutes there alone. But it, I, it, it what's what I like about it again when I think about it is it does get out there. But it's it, it it's slow rolls, so mm. it doesn't. If that was scene two, I don't think it's Seinfeld. But that getting, right. but that becoming sort of the end. And dare I say, you meet the other Bizarros, but we don't do the Newman one until the very end. Right. And again, so it's it's it's, it's building. building and building and building, which uh, I think is I, I like. I, I you know to me that's when when Seinfeld works. And I don't just mean this about, I, I, I'm very happy that mine does. When episodes work, it's, it is one, those ones that really kind of like come together mm-hmm. like that. And that's just the, now, sort of the outlining secret. Talk a little yeah. about Elaine. I, I, what was your reaction when you saw the great, when you saw the dailies of Elaine between the two worlds on the um, street? I give f- f- just so much credit there to uh, uh, longtime Seinfeld director uh, Andy Ackerman. Mm-hmm. Um, just so good, you know, just uh, well deserved. Uh, uh, you know, whatever, DGA award winner and all that kind of good stuff. But um, that was so of his design. First, those long shots where you yeah. kind of see them, and then that, that just that sort of perfect moment of the three and three on the old New York street. Um, again, you know, one of those moments of it's easy to write into a script, they kind of come together. Um, and, it, you know, it was sort of in there, but you know the execution, just raising the raising it. Yeah, yeah. The uh, there's something about Elaine uh, for me because you know the first couple of seasons she was always like fourth dude in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Here she, I was beginning to see here and and also in some seasons you did she were developing her as a woman character. She I felt a little more that she was turning into yeah, she was growing. I mean, she and, definitely was. I mean, I guess I always feel like to her to the credit of Larry and Jerry going back to when she was the fourth dude. There was something wonderful about mm. that because, and I, 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 you know, it's funny, I, and I've said this to Julie and I've said this elsewhere, but there was something lovely about the fact that, and funny and real and good about the fact that she wasn't a woman that was babysitting these three guys and mm-hmm. constantly shaking yeah. her head like you see on so many sitcoms where the girl is the the den mother the babysitter or whatever she is and is constantly shaking her heads at these dummies she was one of the dummies (laughs) and that i think was really eye-opening to the world but obviously not eye-opening you know to people who had you know mixed gender friend groups where you you have the your friend who's a woman who is not your romantic character but just like is another one of your idiots and so I think that was somewhat revelatory unto itself. And then once I think those ground rules were established, 
you can at least start to add in that she has certain different hopes and dreams. Yeah. And that also, I mean, I think what also crept into it occasionally, and it was there also even early on, like episodes like, you know, you got to see the baby, come see the baby. <laughs> what her, if you will, other female friends expected of her as a woman, and yet often what she didn't want to do or wanted to do, which I think made her just all the more interesting. But, uh, you know, I love the fact that there's, like, that there's a little bit of the cracks of her kind of going, I don't necessarily want to be here, and that maybe somewhere, and again, she wasn't necessarily going, I want to get married and have kids, but she was sort of saying, there's got to be a little more to life, in a way, perhaps, that the other three don't want. And in I think some that's ways, really interesting. Yeah. In some ways, she's more tragic because of all the four, she's the only one that recognizes that they're selfish, <laughs> well, I guess, but yeah. she traps herself. Like, she can't help herself either, like pushing the guy at I the end. I guess you could argue that she's <laughs> the most prepared to uh, interact with the rest of society as we know it. And so it's all the more tragic that she doesn't. But, but, yeah. And she knows she should right. and cannot <laughs> help and goes back to it's the a, group. Yeah. Well, it's a tragedy, yeah. Um, <laughs> But also for me, I was always wondering, what would Kramer be like at a job? Like, it was always something I've been wondering. That's why I enjoyed watching him go to work. Yeah, I mean, um, it's funny, uh, and I probably said this somewhere, like, on the uh, like the Seinfeld DVD things, um, the commentaries. Uh, it was a story that had sort of happened to me, which is I used to spend a lot of time uh, at, uh, at Tower Records uh, okay. in New York City. Um, there was one very much close to my house. And I was there so often and just kind of, you know, a schlubby kid in a you know, T-shirt and whatever, that the number of times that I was sort of asked by somebody, like, hey, do you know where this section is? And I did know where the section <laughs> yeah. was, but I didn't work there. But they were asking me because I looked like I worked there. Um, and that was kind of the, the inspiration for it. Um, and it was very much sort of like, um, this was the other thing, too, is uh, when I was in college, to sort of make my parents happy senior year, I did uh, corporate recruiting. Like, I knew I oh. wanted to do comedy writing, but just in case, I kind of covered backup, my bases. Back. Yes. And so at some point or another, you know, I was meeting with, like, these, like, you know, really, like, like Brown Brothers Harriman or Procter & Gamble and stuff. <laughs> and I didn't know anything. <laughs> and they would ask these questions, and I knew nothing. I mean, I had some basic economic knowledge, but, like, it was embarrassing in a way. And so that was a little bit of the inspiration, too, of just sort of, like, you know, he would be great at all the things that he'd like, basically, for lack of a better word, seen and heard about jobs, right. but no actual <laughs> actual jobs. knowledge. Yeah, it was fun watching that, and it was. Uh, I also enjoyed Man Hands. Yep. Uh, Where did that come from? That came. Uh, that gets based uh, on my uh, at the time. Uh, I guess at the time. I can't remember. I think we were maybe not together, but uh, now wife. But at the time, I guess perhaps we were on a, a, a break of some sort. Um, and so it was very much uh, my pointed, uh, hey there, this is about you kind of thing. <laughs> but uh, my wife has what she calls, she grew up on a farm, wow. and she uh, uh, has what she always calls farmy hands. Mm. Um, because she, you know, grew up working on this farm, and so her hands are a little rough and whatever, but they're normal-sized and very ladylike and all these things. But they are definitely rough as opposed to 
these are the hands of, of you know, a, a young Jewish prince from New York <laughs> that basically had everything done for him by his parents and never worked an honest day you know, in my life, just ever. So I have very smooth, beautiful hands. Um, so I always remember the farmy thing. And you know, like all the great sort of Seinfeld and later on the Curb stuff and even a little bit of Veep, you start with the piece of the real and then you kind yeah, of extrapolate. Right. So farmy wasn't funny, but sort of like taking it that one step extra to the man hands and then the next step, which was to have a woman, you know, cast a very beautiful woman. Uh, Christian Barrow was also very funny in the part, but then obviously we used like one of the grips. We the grips, used like yeah. his hand yeah. in the, the sort of the silk <laughs> blouse. And then, of course, you know, just adding all of like the him touching Jerry's <laughs> face, whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's sort of fantastic. And, uh, uh, you know, she sort of has made, my wife has made her peace with the episode. Made yeah. Yeah, <laughs> we were, uh, so then, so what, is, what was special about the writer's room of Seinfeld? Because even other ones, well, what was unique about it? What was well, kind of? I mean, it's the, a funny thing to say. Is what was sort of unique about the writers' room to some extent is it was not a traditional writers' room. Hmm. I mean, Larry and Jerry had very much, since neither of them, you know, I guess Jerry had worked on a sitcom a little bit. He had been on Benson before he was, I think, oh, yeah. summarily fired. Um, <laughs> and Larry had never really worked much. I mean, he'd been on Fridays and he'd been at SNL briefly, but certainly didn't have sort of like the traditional sitcom training. Hmm. They very much came at it early on of just writing it themselves, and then even when they hired a couple of writers, I think they almost initially were using the writers almost, I don't want to say 100%, but they almost, honestly were almost bringing the writers in hoping like that if they hired people, those people would just have enough ideas to f- sort of like be coal for the oven, basically, mm-hmm. and keep it moving, you know what I mean? Um, but... Uh, or I guess I should have said coal for the steam engine, sorry. Um, but uh, so, you know, initially, even when writers were writing, I think a lot of times, uh, you know, they were, they were taking it and kind of giving it a pass and really it was going through them. And then they were lucky enough, they started to find, you know, good writers and original voices um, like Peter Melman and Larry Charles and these people that then sort of stuck around and could write Seinfeld. But um, the truth is, especially when Larry was there, um, the notion of the group getting together, yeah, once in a blue moon, Larry and Jerry would call people together and kind of run something by them. And once in a blue moon, when a, writing, a script didn't come in maybe from another writer the way they wanted it to, and they were under the gun, they might say to the writing staff, can you guys, like, can you guys rewrite these scenes while we work on mm. this other harder part? But certainly... Never that kind of, I guess, the way most sitcoms in, I, certainly most network sitcoms, and now it's, it's a little different, but the, the notion of like a show being created in a room, all the ideas being come up with in a room, it almost being beaten out completely in a room, but you know, stories being fully worked out, outlines fully being developed in a room, and then often handed off to whosever turn mm-hmm. it was. Larry and Jerry definitely ran it maybe almost closer to a drama where certainly when I got there, you pitched your ideas to Larry and Jerry. And by the way, you certainly were allowed as you were working on stuff, we interacted with each other. The writers certainly did. Um, And we helped each other all the time. But again, not in a formal writer's room. Um, and you would pitch Larry and Jerry stories, and you were trying to get approved for the four characters. So here's, I'm trying to get, great, now I have a Jerry story, now I have an Elaine story, now I have a Crim story. You get your four stories, you would start outlining, you'd bring them in to show them act one. 
they would give notes, they'd do things mm -hmm. to it, whatever. Then you keep going and eventually you get an outline and you get approved to write it. But again, always Larry and Jerry with the one or if you're a partner, two writers. Again, the, the rest of the team, yeah, I'm talking to people about what I'm working on. I'm maybe even running it by them. But again, not that sort of group think. And I think that speaks to the unique voice of the show and a lot of unique voice sitcoms that have followed it. I mean, that's how I have sort of run it since uh, everything I've ever done since then, that's how I have done it. Now, what we would do, and where I do think a writer's room is very helpful, when Larry left the show, Jerry would often convene himself, the writer of the episode, and then usually two or three other people to punch it up. But even then, there was a bigger staff, but we were trying to keep it tight. And I do think a writer's room can be super valuable for making things funnier, but it does, I, I'm a big believer in the individual writer, you know, like I yeah. think that part of why I think the Bizarro Jerry works is those, those four stories are very close to my heart, and they are right. me writing these four stories, obviously in the case of the one about my, my now wife, super close to my heart, but even the other three are things that happened, some to me, some to friends of mine, but they yeah. are stories that I really brought to the table and then sort of was allowed to develop. And so just talking in the grand scheme of things, the writer's room was so good because there wasn't a writer's room. But what I guess I will say is it was a really just great mix of really funny people that I think Larry and Jerry had really great taste of just being able to find people who really just cared about the funny. I mean, that, yeah. that's what was, I think, really special about it is I, I've been in so many bad writer's rooms where, you know, every time there's a comment, there's like a song and a dance. Well, as a father... I think and whatever, and it was just that. Mm -hmm. It was just this is funny, this isn't funny. Let's make it funnier. Or this is funny. I think we can make it even funnier. Which so many shows, like you know, they stop. They're happy with whatever they have. So I guess it was just a real, you know, it was like a killer lineup. It was like a you know, like a, a 1960s Yankee lineup kind of a thing. Yeah, and it show. I was one of the reasons, one of the most. Uh, Love the sitcoms, but I did notice the episode since you were the only involved. I could feel that the storylines were more interwoven. Like it felt they they connected. They did, they and, did, and, yeah. and again, sometimes you get lucky and sometimes you don't. I mean, I have an episode that I really liked the stories that were in the episode that I wrote a couple of years later or a year later. Um, or maybe, was it the same year? I can't remember. It might have been even my second episode that season um, called the Susie, and I can tell mm. you to this day it doesn't work, and it. And it's and those stories are as much me as the bizarro ones, but it just can't explain it. And to this day, you'll laugh. I once in a blue moon, you know, you get a stress dream like, oh, I'm in college and I whatever it's the final exam and whatever. Once in a blue moon, I will still have a dream where I think I've solved the Susie. <laughs> like, I, oh, I know if I just move these scenes around, it, this is what no. this is how to fix that story, and it. It, I don't know, it haunts me to this day. So that's not, it doesn't always work, but in this case, everything did work. Now, you build a relationship with Julie Louis Dreyfus, obviously. Sure. What, uh, what was it about, what's about your connection that made her want to bring you on to Veep? Like to take over Veep and the. Um, I mean, I, you know, I'll say a couple of things, which is, you know, it's funny, we're not particularly that far apart in age when you actually, you know, do the math. But interestingly, at the time, and I don't mean this in a bad way, 
you know, she was a mom and I was, you know, a 25-year-old idiot, like living in a rental <laughs> apartment, you know, driving a leased car. And so the, the I don't know what to say, the, uh, the, the moat seemed bigger at the time. You know what I mean? And so, you know, we were certainly, I, I, again, I think we were acquaintances and I think she liked some of the stuff I was doing, but I don't think, I don't think either of us would pretend we were, we didn't know each other's phone number. You know what I mean? Like, I'll simply say, uh, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It just was, you know, it just was what it was. And when we did on Curb, we did the, uh, the Seinfeld reunion seasons oh, on right. Curb. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, you know, again, we kind of came back together and, you know, perhaps again, got to, she got to see a little more whatever of me and all that kind of stuff in a good way. Um, and so, again, I think certainly... I'd like to think, I mean, Lord knows I thought the world of her, but I'd certainly like to think she certainly knew of my capabilities and qualifications. Um, and I don't mean, again, none of this is bad, but uh, I think it was, you know, Casey Bloys from HBO, because I've been doing mm. Curb, that actually was the one that kind of was like, Dave Mandel should do this. And she thought it was a good idea, but I know she certainly made sure she checked with Larry, too. You know what I mean? So, again, I don't want to take anything away. Um, uh, we did have a... It was nice that when we did get together, we had all of that as a baseline. But I guess I always feel like... I'm not sure we knew going into it. I think we knew we were simpatico comedy-wise. But I think the genuine sort of, I guess, affection that kind of came out of the, the, the four or five years of Veep where... Um, I was actually just in New York, oddly, and I did this with her mm. for Downhill, and, you know, I was yeah. thrilled to be asked, and it was so much fun. Um, that, I'm not sure you ever know that that's 100% going to happen. I knew we were going to be simpatico comedy-wise. And by the way, again, that is important. I knew, I knew she would kill herself to make Veep good, and so would I, but I didn't quite know how entangled in our, each other's lives we would become. Yeah. So then that's, that's my question. Yeah. We've always, we know she's a terrific actor. She's yeah. one of the greatest uh, TV actresses of all time. That's an art, you know, no, are you well, anybody we can, can just make. say actor, I think. A- actor, actor. Yeah. My, what makes her so good? What, is, what does she do? I, 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 what does she well, do I mean, that's, that's so is, I mean, she is, a, and, she is a brilliant actor that also happens to be hilarious. Hmm. So... There are people that are really funny, but often aren't necessarily the best actors. And mm. That's just a true thing. And obviously there are great actors that are not funny in the least. And she puts those two things together. But what you're talking about, I mean, when you think about what she does on Veep some of the time, the, the way she can often play a scene, whereas, you know, as, as Selena, she's supposed to be saying something, you know, very positive that she believes in, but she herself at the same time knows that kind of plays that at the same time, but also right. is also at the same time playing sort of the sense of, I hope no one catches me, and then a little bit of, oh, I think this is working. I just like, I mean, you know, you're talking on like, like people on like, 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 you can probably count them on one hand, like, just, I don't think people realize just how good an actor she is, forget about the comedy. What also yeah. must make for you as a writer being able to, you know... How far you can push it? Well, that's like exactly, you know, you can write you, to you that knowing there, she can do it. Knowing, like I don't know how to do this, right? <laughs> and you know, my directing of her is always very enjoyable because all I'm doing is just telling her to do more. I mean, it's just <laughs> like which a regular person couldn't do, but she can. So it makes my job very easy. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, thanks for coming back and talking oh my gosh, to us. Anytime, you know. You know. 
You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.